Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We are still in our uh, early weeks of uh, Marriage 101. This is actually just week 5 of the 14 that uh, I have uh, planned uh, out together. I uh, congratulate you on making effort uh, in your marriage. Uh, you're already doing more than a lot of people do because you're making effort. And uh, as you've heard me say so many times from the pulpit, the great enemy of our marriages is just lack of effort, complacency, taking each other for granted. And just the fact that you're here is a great testimony on, on your part. Everybody has different circumstances. Uh, but we do have that in common. We want to have a, a good marriage. And by the way, I, I believe that's in the heart of every human being. Have you ever wondered why? Uh, why do these godless people from Hollywood uh, get married two, three, four times? I mean, why, do, why even bother? I'll tell you why. It's because it is somewhere in the heart of humanity, in the conscience that God gave us, that marriage is, is valuable. It's the same reason, and it's very twisted, why uh, homosexual people, why, why do they want marriage? I mean, why wouldn't they be satisfied with just some other government title that gave them all of the, you know, uh, rights and privileges that you get because you're married, with, with insurance and everything else? Why wouldn't they be satisfied? Because there's something in the human conscience that values uh, marriage. And 92% um, uh, of you in your survey uh, said that you're making a six or more effort uh, in your marriage. 88% of you said your spouse is making <laughs> uh, six or more effort. Uh, one third of you did say that your spouse makes less effort than you do, uh, which is kind of an interesting uh, observation. And unfortunately, uh, about a fourth of you uh, say that your spouse is making more effort than you. And, and, and I would just say, you know, no matter who you are, always uh, make effort in, in this relationship. It is so very, very important. Remember, nearly 100% of the people that walk down in marriage aisle, uh, they believe their marriage is going to last. They love one another. Uh, we're told 50% divorce. Uh, so it's certainly more than just love and good intentions to having a successful marriage. Um, I'm going to begin the same way we always do, just reviewing those nine things, then we'll answer some questions. Uh, I want these planted deeply uh, in your heart, and I want them in your heart for you. Uh, I want them in your heart because everybody in this room, at work or in your family or among your friends, in some way at some time, you're going to be asked about marriage. And people struggle with this relationship. It's not an easy relationship. It's not easy to blend two separate lives. And you're going to be asked. And so I want these things really deeply in your heart because they will not only help you, they'll help you help someone else. Here, here's number one. Uh, nothing can be taken back that's been done to this point. Uh, what's done is done. Number two, uh, all that any of us can change is today and tomorrow. Uh, and today and tomorrow can change. Number three, if you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day. Uh, so you're not going to get out in a day. But by the grace of God, you can get out and have things be better. Uh, number four. Uh, you can only control one person in any situation or relationship. 
my suggestion is, is that in this class you focus on that one. You won't be married very long before you come to realize you can't control your spouse. You're not going to have kids for very long before you come to realize you can't control your kids. And all we can do is control ourselves. And so I ask you focus on that one because when we control ourselves, it will make every situation better. Here's number five. There's always hope as long as God is involved. Uh, God is love. You may be sitting here today and say, do you know what? I don't love them anymore. You can love again. God is love. You may sit here and say, you know what? I'm looking back and I never really ever did love them. Uh, you can begin to love. God is love. Uh, you can sit here and say, well, I used to love them, but I don't love them anymore. Y you know what? You can love again. Uh, someone sarcastically said getting married is like going to a restaurant. You order what you want, and then when you see what someone else has, you wish you'd have ordered that. Uh, some woman sarcastically remarked to another, she said, aren't you wearing your wedding ring on the wrong finger? Uh, to which she replied, yeah, but I married the wrong man. Some man sarcastically said, uh, before a man is married, he's incomplete. After he's married, he's finished. Uh, but on a more serious note, uh, marriage is when you fall in love over and over and over again with the same person. Um, number six, no one is destined to repeat the home in which you were raised if your home was bad. Uh, you can succeed. Number seven, no one is uh, assured of having a great marriage. If you come from a home with a great marriage, you can fail. Number eight, the marriage that you have now is the marriage you're supposed to be working on. Uh, and number nine, the person to whom you're married now is a person to whom you are supposed to be married. I, I am always amazed when I hear stories of someone who's been married for X number of years and then they get in touch with some high school flame that they rejected decades ago and, and they get back together. Now, the person you're married to right now is a person to whom you're supposed to be married. Uh, and before we start our lesson, like always, I just want to answer some questions. Some of these were turned in by you. Other, the, other of these questions have been turned in the past. I, I kind of have a pool of them uh, from the past, and, and I just bring up the ones that I think uh, will help this particular uh, group of people and, and help better apply the things we've talked about. Question number one, how do you make your spouse notice the things you do? Uh, you can't make your spouse do anything. Um, the first thing I would do is begin to notice what they do. Uh, it's a Bible principle. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Uh, the common phrase is what goes around comes around. Uh, and so if you want to be better noticed, what you want to do is you want to sow the seeds of noticing and being thankful. And when you sow those seeds, you will reap more of those seeds. The second thing uh, I, I would say to you is uh, make sure that you and your spouse have had some kind of a conversation uh, dividing up the responsibilities at home. Uh, you may disagree with this, but I, I think it's absolutely wrong for some lady to work 40 hours and some guy to work 40 hours, and the guy comes home, plops himself down on a chair, and then the lady comes home and makes dinner and does laundry and cleans the house. I, I, I think that's silliness. I think what you should do as a couple is you ought to look at how many hours each of you spend uh, away from the home uh, that's related to your job. 
And then I think you should divide up uh, the responsibilities in your house afterwards accordingly, according to your interests and abilities and, and likes and dislikes. Uh, but understand this, if you haven't divided up what everyone's responsibility is, how can you ever expect them to notice or be thankful? You know, it, you don't even know what they're doing. And so, you know, that will help uh, your situation too. And you know what, if they're young, um, nothing cures immaturity but time. And, and so if you keep, uh, and keep yourself and your spouse around better people, uh, spiritually mature people, uh, people who handle themselves well. I mean, what you end up doing is, is you know, you, you help mature them and mature yourself in doing so. So be patient. Question number two, what should I do when my wife doesn't follow my leadership? Uh, let me ask you a question. What should she do when, um, what should she do when your leadership is bad? Uh, what should she do when you don't love her unconditionally? See, the real question of, the, of, of this is, is how do I handle my spouse failing in their role? And, and by the way, we're all going to fail in our roles. We're people. Uh, and so if you would like for your spouse to respond when you fail in your role with patience and grace, then why don't you respond the same way when they fail in their role? With patience and grace. So patience and grace. Uh, you're going to need it. By the way, one of the reasons as a pastor that I try to be very patient and gracious with the humanity of the people here is, you know what? I need somebody to be patient and gracious with my humanity. Uh, it, it's no different in, in our roles in, in the home. Uh, everybody's going to fail at them. And we just need to be patient and gracious. Pray for them. Be patient with them. Uh, and by the way, uh, never forget that it is way easier to see your spouse's flaws than your own. And uh, keep an eye on your own. Focus on those. Uh, question number three. My spouse wants to spend every waking moment together. Is this good? Um, first thing I would say is that the time together as a couple that's, quote, good, uh, varies. You know, it varies from couple to couple. It varies from, from season to season. You know, sometimes because of work or some illness or some specific problem, you know what, an appropriate amount of time together, it changes. And uh, the balance point in life, I mean, it's a moving target. And you just have to accept that, that you're never, you never just get to get everything in balance and then just forget about it. That's not the way life works. And um, so what I would do is the first thing you need to do is ask yourself some questions. Uh, are they really wanting too much time with you? I mean, do you really think you're that interesting? Or maybe you've given them reasons to not trust you. Or maybe they have some insecurities. And maybe you need to look a little deeper in, in, into why they want this. Because I can tell you, you know what, you won't be married very long and you're going to have no new lines, no new moves. And you're just not going to be quite as interesting as you were at first. And, um, and and so what you need to do is you need to just look a little deeper into the situation. You know, if they've got some uh, trust issues with you, 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 you need to, you know, help them work through those. Uh, if they have some insecurity issues, you need to help them work through those. Uh, I do not personally think it's healthy 
to spend uh, every waking moment with your spouse. And, uh, you know, you, you may disagree with that, um, but I, I think uh, that should be your priority relationship. And you've heard me say many times, I think every week you, you should just go out on a date, just the two of you, no kids, no friends, you just go and work in that relationship. But that being said, I think it's healthy for a guy to have relationships with other guys. I think it's healthy for a wife to have relationships with other women. I think it's healthy for a couple to have relationships with other couples. Uh, listen, every one of these relationships enhances our life. And uh, why in the world do you, do you want to just crush and smother uh, your spouse to only be with you anyway? You know, there, there's some root behind that. And, uh, I mean, make sure you spend time and, and prioritize time. But you know what? Uh, I've always felt like I should encourage my wife to have relationships with other ladies, especially godly ladies. And, um, you know, yes, does it mean that uh, I'll get less of her time? Yeah, but you know what? It really helps her, and, and that's a good thing. Question number four, how do you get your spouse to do what both of you agreed to delegate to each person? Um uh, you can't. All you can do is control yourself. I do think, like I mentioned earlier, it's wise for a couple to uh, divide up their responsibilities at home according to the number of hours that you're a able to be, be there. And, uh, and yes, if you're a stay-at-home uh, mom, I, I believe you ought to primarily get all the stuff done around the house. But I also believe if both of you are working full-time, you ought to be dividing that stuff up too. And, and so... Um, if it's that bad of a problem, uh, get a couple of clear examples, make the issue a matter of prayer, pick a good time, pick a good tone, and talk to them about it. Um, but if you haven't divided things up and, and, and you haven't uh, d done that, you know, you control yourself. Question number five, how do we balance being married and honoring parents when their parent wants a lot of my spouse's time? <laughs> Uh, the first thing you've got to do is be honest uh, about whether they really want too much time. You know, sometimes um, because in our heart we're, we wish our family was closer or our family wanted us around more, we resent their family wanting them around. And, and so you've got to take an honest look at, at what's driving your feelings. It is... Uh, is their parent really demanding too much of their time, or, or are you looking at it wrong? And if you stop and you look at it rightly and you say, do you know what, uh, their parent really is too d demanding, then what you need to do is pick a couple of clear examples, make the matter uh, an issue, uh, make the issue a matter of prayer, uh, pick a good time and a good tone, and then talk to your spouse about it. And then let them handle their own family. Uh, almost never is it a good thing for you to deal with their family when there's a problem. Let them handle their own uh, family. You say, well, they're gutless. Well, that's a whole other question. Um, question number six, is my wife obligated to watch a ball game for every Hallmark movie I watch? Um, I, I don't know that you're ever going to be very rare uh, for a couple to have the same tastes in, in television programming. 
And I got to be honest with you, in, in my world, I mean, Hallmark, they shouldn't even get airtime along with uh, Project Runway. Uh, I mean, man, that, that show like makes me barf. Um, I mean, even Say Yes to the Dress at least has redeemable quality, and you can say, this is what a Bridezilla looks like. Don't be like that. Um, and, and, and so I, I, I think both. I, I think it's good for, for you each to have some shared experiences like that, and, and I do. I watch Say Yes to the Dress with her, and I mostly keep my mouth shut, but I just can't watch Project Runway with her and, and keep my mouth shut. She goes in the other room and, and, and watches that trash. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and so what I, I just be honest about it. You, you know, spend some time together. I, I think you both should watch some things you really wouldn't be your first choice just to spend time together. But you know what? I, I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, having some things that uh, you each watch uh, separately uh, too. I mean, work it out. Um, question number seven, our last question. Should a couple undertake rehabbing a house when they're first married? Can this create a bond? Uh, well, it might create a bond, but it's far more likely to put extra strain on the difficulty of blending two lives. I mean, th there's a reason that most couples will tell you that the first year of their marriage was the most difficult year of their marriage. Not that, there's a few exceptions to that, and that doesn't mean it's always really hard and really bad. I'm not implying that. But most people will say that the most difficult year of their marriage is the first year of their marriage. Uh, you're trying to blend two separate lives that have lived self selfish. It's not an easy thing. And, and understand, when you rehab a house, I mean, basically what you're doing is you're putting extra strain on your time, extra strain on your money, extra strain on the pressures you're carrying. And, and, and why would you add that? Well, I mean, why not wait 9 or 10, uh, 9 or 12 months or, or something if you feel compelled uh, to do that and, and just, um, you know, enjoy being together, work through all the issues of, of just being a newlywed couple. I actually, I personally prefer that adults, uh, when they get married, start in, in an apartment. I mean, then you also don't have everything around the house that you have to do. And uh, those of you, when you got your first house, I guarantee you one of the things that you had to do after you got your first house was work through who was going to be responsible for what. And I, I bet it wasn't just super easy. So, so I would say, you know, wait some time and, and do that. Now, there's exceptions to that, too, but, you know, generally speaking. Um, I just want to remind everybody before we start our lesson, Satan's the enemy of your marriage. And uh, he wants your marriage destroyed. And if he can't destroy your marriage, he wants to keep you in it and have it unhappy. Uh, God designed marriage for our good. He had designed it to be good for both men and women. And we, when we handle it right, it is exactly that. Does everybody know what this is? Fabrice Air, right? Uh, could I use this as deodorant? Would that be better than body odor to smell like uh, Hawaiian aloha? Yeah, it, it would. But you know what? The creator of this didn't design it to be used that way. Uh, who knows what effect it has on skin? Uh, who knows what effect it has on clothes it gets on? Who knows how long it lasts in those circumstances? It wasn't designed for that. It was designed for something else. And you know what? Your marriage is like that. Uh, you, you can... Uh, do marriage your way and call it marriage, 
And you'll have something, you know, like Aloha deodorant. Uh, but if you really want the kind of home that produces love and security and all the kinds of things you desire in your heart and that God designed for marriage to be, you must do marriage God's way. And that's what our class is about, uh, talking about what the scriptures teach about this relationship and then just practically applying it. You should be in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're on our third and final week of uh, talking about our roles uh, in the home. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 says, Likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be... Without the word be won by the conversation of the wise. By the way, before we go on, someone turned in the question, when I try to respectfully speak truth into my husband's life, uh, reference a Bible verse not related to marriage life stuff, he becomes defensive and angry. Uh, should I refrain from this? There's your biblical answer right there. If any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wife. The primary way you influence your spouse is not quoting Bible verses. The primary way you influence your spouse is behavior, uh, conversation, words over time, behavior, attitude. Uh, you're not going to win your spouse and influence them quoting Bible verses. And as much as I'm someone who would love to quote Bible verses, that is not going to most of the time modify the behavior of my wife. My wife's behavior will be modified by my behavior, my attitude, how I treat her. Uh, verse 2. It says, While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, uh, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair or the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. And that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, given honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Did you notice a repetition of what we saw in Ephesians 5 and Colossians chapter 3? In verse 1 there, a wife is supposed to follow the authority of her husband. In verse 7, a husband is supposed to honor his wife. And you say in this case, it tells us why. Uh, she's a weaker vessel. By the way, that does not mean she's weaker spiritually. In some cases, because some men are real softies, it doesn't even mean they're weaker physically. It doesn't mean they're weaker emotionally. I'll tell you what way, generally, though, women are weaker than men. They don't get over things as easily. Uh, when you hurt them, they get hurt more deeply and they heal more slowly. And, and so it's always true, but generally true. And, and so, brother, you, you better be sure you honor and love your wife correctly because she doesn't get over stuff as easily as you do. But the point I'm making for this, this particular session, because we're talking about our roles in the home, is these roles are repeated for us three separate times. And so last week, uh, we began talking about how to practically apply these things. How, how does a husband practically uh, love and honor his wife? How does he practically provide leadership in, in his home? How does a wife submit herself to her own husband? How does she help herself become, her husband become a better leader? 
How do we do that? And we're kind of just jumping back and forth between some suggestions for, for guys and some suggestions for girls. And then we'll close out today for just some general things as a couple. Uh, here's uh, Last week we did two for men and women. Here's a third one uh, for guys. Practical ways for a guy to provide leadership. Here's number three. Look out for the best interest of your wife and family as you make decisions. I mean, your wife ought to know from your track record that you are trying to make decisions in the interest of your family. She ought to know from your track record that you would rather see money spent on her than you, money spent on the family than you. Listen, if every time you have extra money, uh, what you do is buy your 11th gun instead of getting something for her or the family, you, you know what? It's no wonder she doesn't trust your leadership. You ought to have a track record where she reasonably can look at the way you've led your home and say, do you know what? He really does want our home to follow God. He really does care about me. He really does want our family to do well. By the way, why would God ever give anybody authority in the home to lead their family away from God? That is not why God gave the man authority. He gave the husband authority of his own wife to lead his wife and family toward God. And your decisions ought to reflect that, and that will help your wife follow your leadership. Practical ways for a wife to submit to and reverence her husband. Remember, all these things are done imperfectly. My wife and I do these things imperfectly. I will say this, over the years, the better we have gotten at these things, the better it's helped our home and our relationship. These are things we put in our mind and in our heart and, and work to build these in our lives to, to help. Uh, for, for ladies, here's number three. Quit trying to control them in subtle ways. See, it's easy in your heart to subtly, without saying so, really to want to be the, the authority and leader in your home. And when that's in your heart, what you're going to do is you're going to subtly try to make that happen. Sometimes women try to control their husband by withholding affection. Uh, other times they try to do it with their moods. Uh, instead, why don't you subtly try to build him up and encourage him? Uh, men, and I, I hate to say this, but we're simple creatures. We, we really are. And we're just a sucker to be led along subtly by you. And I just remind you that when you tear your husband down, you're lowering your potential and you're tearing yourself down. You don't build yourself up by tearing him down. I mean, God placed him there to lift you up. Uh, for guys, here's number four. Give your wife veto power over major decisions. So well, I'm the leader here. Well, good for you. Uh, I, I, you ought to, every major decision, you ought to always seek her view. You ought to listen to it. Uh, if she's got fr strong feelings about something, uh, you ought to listen to them. I, I didn't say you always do them, but you better listen. Uh, by the way, if you always do what she wants, you're not really the leader in the house. Nor are you the loving leader in the house if you don't ask her views and you never modify what you were going to do to do what she wants. Uh, for instance, when we were going to start uh, Bible Baptist Church many years ago now, 
I went to Sharon one day, and, and I, uh, we were in staff at another church, and I, I just went to her and I said, you know, uh, I really feel like God is leading us away uh, from there, and, and I feel like, uh, you know, the Lord would have us start a church from scratch in Fairfield, but I want you to know that we won't do anything until you're okay with that. And I, I waited months. And the day, uh, and every once in a while I would ask her, hey, what do you think about that? I don't know. Uh, one day when I asked her, what does she think about that? She says, you know, I'm okay with that. And the next day I resigned. That's a big decision. And big decisions never just affect one person. And uh, give your wife veto power over big decisions. By, by the way, if you're somebody, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, if you're somebody who seeks wise counsel on, on big decisions, uh, neither your veto nor that decision have anything to fear from wise counsel. Listen to her feedbacks and criticisms of your behavior. Number four for, um, for ladies, or whatever number we're on. My notes are, there it is. Uh, here's number four for ladies. Be careful when you give your opinion on things after he's decided what to do, uh, especially in public. By the way, I'm not implying that after something happens and you've made a decision, you shouldn't talk about it as a couple. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm just saying this. Uh, it is always easy to look back when you now have all the information and saw how things turn out to be critical of a decision that was made when you didn't have all the information. And that's why you, you need to be careful because what's going to happen is if you're always critical of all these decisions that he's going to make, most men are not strong enough to take that. And what will happen is they'll just stop making decisions and they'll just turn leadership over to you. And you may think you want that, but again, down the road, you'll not respect him. And you're going to wish he was stronger. And, and then you likely aren't going to be mature enough to look back and say, you know what? I, I slowly, subtly, without meaning to do so, I crushed his spirit and I crushed his confidence. You, you know what? Again, guys, a young man especially, they, they are very sensitive to how their leadership is handled. And they just they, they can't take much criticism of it. And so you better be careful how you criticize decisions that have already been made, and, and especially so uh, in public. Someone turned in a question, how do I keep quiet after my husband makes bad choices even after I uh, give my opinion? Uh, and, and what I would say is, you know, just because you don't agree with what was done doesn't mean it was a bad decision. Was it contrary to the will of God or just contrary to your will? Um, if they really are bad decisions, you know what? Uh, wise counsel, just like wise counsel with your input on major decisions, you know what? When you shine light on that, it exposes it. That's why people don't want wise counsel. That's why not very many people in this room, when you make major decisions, do you do you have a couple, three people in your life that are good in that area that you go to and say, hey, what do you think about this? That's, that's the reason you don't have that. You don't want it. You would rather selfishly and proudly make your own decision than um, 
get outside opinion and make your own decision in the light of, of that. P- please don't do your life that way. Uh, for guys, uh, number five, uh, practical ways to provide leadership in your home, a love and honor your wife. Here's number five. Develop a pattern of wisdom, godliness, and thoughtfulness to make it easier for your wife to submit to you. I hope it never comes out of your mouth, uh, hey, you're supposed to submit to me. By, by the way, she is. But you know what? You're either going to make that difficult for her or easy. Easier. I want to say it's ever easy. Um, you're going to make it difficult for her if your decision-making shows this pattern of selfishness, godliness, ungodliness, and a lack of wisdom. I mean, if you show this pattern, you know what? You're building that of getting wise counsel, of being thoughtful, of listening to what she has to say, of carefully considering what's going on. You know what? You're making it easier or hard for her to follow you. Uh, Number five for ladies, uh, let him have some of his own space and time. He'll become more interesting and better because of it. Uh, Yeah, it will take some of your time. Jealousy and this desire to completely dominate and control your spouse. I mean, it's bad from from both directions. You know, know, uh, your wife is not your child, nor is she your employee. She's your lover. She's your lifetime partner. Uh, number six, for guys, be careful how you criticize or correct your wife and what she does, especially in public, especially in front of the children. If you tear her down in front of the children, you've taken something from your children that God intended for them to have. By, by the way, some of the things that I talk about in this class um, about my wife and I, I would have never said 20 years ago. Uh, because my wife needed to become more confident that I could say those things and know that I don't think ill of her nor you. You need to watch and guard your wife's spirit. Be careful how you... Listen, uh, if you're going to provide leadership in your home uh, every once in a while, uh, you probably are going to have to sit down and talk about you not liking the way something's being done. Uh, there's a way to do that, and it's not yelling or in anger or thoughtlessness. And don't expect your wife to just say, oh, wow, gee, thank you for correcting me. Uh, Almost always the last person somebody wants to listen to is their spouse. Uh, And I'll tell you why. Because we know all about them. Uh, By the way, that's why one of the best things you ever do is come to something like this or go to a biblical church because most often people won't listen to it from their spouse, but you might hear it from me. Uh, Remember, when you criticize or tear down your wife, you're tearing down yourself. You're lowering your potential. God placed her there to help lift you up. You don't. Lift yourself by tearing her down. And then I've got a couple practical things for both husbands and wives. Go back in your Bible to Proverbs 11. And I've kind of 
hinted around it. I didn't hint around. I just directly said it earlier without quoting a Bible verse. Proverbs 11. My old pastor used to say all the time that people get too soon old and too late smart. I, I, that always stuck with me as a young man, and I thought to myself, you know what, I don't want to get too late smart. I want to be smart now. I, I don't want to do all this damage to my wife and do all this damage to my kids and do all this damage to my future and then later look back and say, wow, I, I wish I would have learned about that before I did it. Um, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14 says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. That's kind of interesting. Chapter 15, verse 22. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they're established. Look at chapter 24, verse 6. Again, this is something God bothered to repeat multiple times. It says, For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Um, there's a reason God tells us this multiple times. He's trying to keep us from making less bad mistakes in our life. That, that's what he's trying to do. By the way, that's what every loving parent does when they instruct their children. You're instructing them in a manner to try to keep them from doing things that will hurt them long term that they can't see at that moment. And when our Heavenly Father told us that in the multitude of counselors that there's safety, you know, he, He's trying to keep us from hurting ourselves. Make your own decisions, of course. You answer to God for them, both in life and eternity. But you will really help yourself learn how to make decisions and learn basic Bible principles for decision-making when you get multiple counselors. Now, if you were someone that went to premarital counseling with me, one of the things that I ask every young couple to do is to agree on someone that they can go to uh, to get counsel from, to talk to about their issues. I always ask that. Uh, in your surveys, only one-third of you have agreed on someone to talk to when you have a problem. 25% uh, of the surveys said that when you guys had some fight, that one or both of you went to someone who had no business knowing that information, which probably means it's about 75% because you had no idea really that they talked to you. They didn't just come home and say, by the way, you know about that fight last night? You know that guy at work that you hate so much? Uh, I just told him, and he, he that's not what people do. The fact of the matter is, as a husband and a wife, you know, there is a, a kind of a, a confidence that we build in each other by, by keeping information uh, close that we want kept close. And if you haven't done so yet, you really need to make sure that you and your spouse agree on some people to talk to. Some people are going to keep your information private, and every woman here, you, you need a woman to talk to about some things. And every guy here, you need a guy to talk to about some things that your wife is comfortable with, knowing what's going on. 
And when you make a big decision, you know what? And I still do this to this day. If I have some big decision, there are different areas of life. You know, everybody's not an expert on everything. And when I'm making a financial decision, I've got a couple people that I believe are really good at handling money, godly people. And I'll say, what do you think about this? I've got issues that when something happens in the church, I've got a couple of pastors that I have a lot of confidence in. They're seasoned. They're godly men. So what do you think about this? Yes, I make my own decision. I answer both in life and to God for my own decisions. But I, we all need to get smart enough and wise enough to understand we don't know everything. So get wise counsel. Here's the second thing for couples. Remember that it, all these roles, it takes time to be good at them. I mean, nobody walks down a marriage aisle and then walks out and is an expert at filling their role in the home. That isn't what happens. And so you need to rest in this. If your spouse is growing and they're going in the right direction, just rest in the fact that, you know what, they'll get there. Here's the third thing for couples. Be united front in front of your children. And I talk about this in, in great detail in our parenting class. But, but you know, listen, if you tear down, uh, and this is tough to not do, but you still need to not do it uh, after you've had a divorce, you really take something from a child when you feel like you need to destroy that other parent in their mind. And listen, if they're really that bad, they will destroy themselves. And you just need to wait on God. Because if you don't wait on God, you might destroy that parent at a time in their mind and heart when they weren't ready for it. If you wait on God, it'll happen at the right time. Here's number four. Focus on your spouse's strengths and not their weaknesses when you think about your spouse. I think we're all inclined to uh, uh, see their faults and flaws, and we've all got them. See, that other person you look at and uh, doesn't seem to have all the faults and flaws your spouse has, it's only because you don't know them better. If you knew them better, maybe their faults and flaws might be different, but they'd have them too. Um, and lastly, go back to Proverbs chapter 10. How do we fill these roles? Work hard on becoming a good forgiver. By the way, that's kind of a learned behavior, a learned spiritual discipline. Notice in Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12 says, Hatred stirreth up stripes, but love covereth all sins. Um, listen, there's no way you're not going to fail your spouse. There's no way you're not going to fail your God. Forgiveness is an essential part of a healthy relationship with God and with our marriage partner. Uh, a lot of you have turned in questions about how do I get over this and how do I get over that, and I'm debating now on whether to cover that in this class or on a Sunday night. I'm still praying and thinking about this, but I, I know this much. Uh, forgiveness is the key real forgiveness. Uh, you have a paper. You can turn in your questions. Next week, we're going to begin talking about uh, becoming better communicators uh, in our home. Uh, God bless you. You're dismissed.